Go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful we can come before you, Lord. Three weeks before Christmas means we got three weeks. Three weeks to invite friends, family. Lord, I don't know why we always just say friends. Lord, we, we ought to invite our enemies because they need it most. And we'll have a service Christmas, Christmas Day in here. Lord, we want to share that worship with you together. And we want people who are lost to be able to come and hear the gospel as they see the first coming of Christ and, and be told what he did for us on the cross. So God, be with us today. Uh, pray that you would encourage us with the things that are going to come. Because, Lord, it looks bad. There are ways in which it has looked bad over the last three years and looks bad right now worldwide. And so, God, you got to show us. Pray you'd speak to us today through your word. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, if you'll join me in Daniel chapter 7. And we've been alternating a study of the topic of worship, which we will finish up next Sunday. I'm going to wrap it up with a bow by looking at prayer and worship. And we've been alternating that with study of the book of Daniel. My commitment being to go a a whole chapter at a time so that we don't get bogged down. And I know that's a challenge. It certainly is a challenge for me to preach and teach it. Uh, But I do try and put all the other references on the board there on on your handout so that you can go back and check and you can see and you can look things up. Uh, And so we're doing that to go through Daniel, and then we'll have um, worship next Sunday and then two weeks where we're going to take Christmas theme on on getting hope uh, to the holidays, hope at Christmas, and including on Christmas Sunday, Christmas Day. And I know, you know, I know that I'm an awkward person anyway. Right, and if, uh, if you're new to this church, it, it's always awkward because I never shake hands, and I, and even, but it's not a COVID thing. I never shook hands before that. I always hug people. Okay, well, you know, until they get to know me, sometimes that's awkward. You know, on a day like today, to do Daniel chapter 7, three weeks before Christmas, everybody who has ever known me is going to say, Alan, that is awkward. Daniel 7, Really? And, you know, I just felt like God would have me do this because I think we do need a good contrast between what happened at the first coming and Jesus born in a manger and what is going to be taking place that we need to be getting ready for right now. And so I guess to kind of back into this and and make it fit the season, you know, the most hyped movie franchise in history was the Star Wars saga. And it was, uh, you know, I was a senior in high school whenever the first one came out, and George Lucas designed this whole epic space opera, not just as one movie or one story, but really as nine. So there, were, there was a trilogy of three movies each, and they chronicled the same characters through a more complete story. And I know this because I looked it up on Wikipedia. So the first movie was entitled A New Hope, you know, Luke Skywalker. Later they retitled it, Episode uh, 4. And, uh, you know, it was originally Star Wars, but then it became Episode 4, A New Hope. And 22 years after that, they released the first of the trilogy that takes you back in time, Episodes 1, 2, and 3. I mean, before Luke is even born and shows you the relationship between his father and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda and the rest of the original trilogy characters. And that movie, even though it 
premiered 22 years after the first one, was not a sequel, it was a prequel, because prequels give you the backstory, and in Daniel chapter 7, we have a prequel. Look at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, we saw Belshazzar in chapter 5, and he died. Obviously, that was the last year of his reign, but but chapter 7 is a prequel, so it takes us back to what happened the first year of his reign, and that's our thesis for today's study. Daniel 7 is really because of the multivalent nature of Bible prophecy, it is the prequel in which we now live in the last days of the church age prior to the second coming of Christ. So Belshazzar, last king of Babylon, first year of his reign, so chronologically you've got to put chapter 7 in between chapter 4 and 5. Daniel's now about 85 years old. He gives us a survey of his life in the first six chapters of this book, but now he's going to take you back. He's going to be the prophet to tell you where God places you today. So he starts to discuss pure prophecy chapters 7 to 12. And as he does so, he goes back and he picks up segments of truth and transports them in a different way because this part's for us. I know it's three weeks till Christmas, but, you know, this chapter is just like your pre-Christmas holiday life right now. Confusion, superhero movies, and and Muppet monsters and things like that. Verse 1, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now, I want you to notice how everything that follows this is all future to Daniel. Um, Some of it is history to us. Three quarters of it is history to us. Verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. There are four seas mentioned in your Bible. Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, Red Sea, and what the ancients called the Great Sea, or what we now know as the Mediterranean. Numbers 34, Joshua 1, Ezekiel 47. So in chapter 2, you remember chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saw a vision of metals in sequence. Gold, silver, brass, iron. Daniel now in chapter 7 sees mammals simultaneous. And he sees them, it says, at night because night is a Bible type. It is a picture of the church age in which we now live. And you get all of this just from comparing Scripture with Scripture. So 2 Peter 1.9, Malachi 4.3, Philippians 2.15, Colossians 1.13... Why? Why is, the, why is the time we're living in now pictured as the night? Because it is the time between when Jesus, the light, ascended back to heaven and the time he will come back as the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, Malachi 4.3. So, while Daniel stands on the shore, he sees the coming storm coming up over the Mediterranean. Four beasts rise up, and I want you to notice what he says about this process, because God is the leader of the great cabal. 
And the Holy Spirit is the ultimate conspirator here. Watch verse three, and four great beasts come up from the sea, diverse one from another. So verses two to eight are what I call the elements and the animals. Verse four, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings were thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made, to, made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. All the modern translations say either it was given a man's mind or it was given a human mind. It was much more extensive than that because this is transhumanism. This, this is beastly because of the genetic manipulation and mixing of seed. In another sense, this is a Bible type of the British Empire, a lion with a heart. Just a snapshot in the collage, just a picture in the frame, verse 5, and behold, another beast a second like to a, to a bear, and it raised, itself, raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and they said unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. So just a poo bear in the woods, Winnie. I mean, that's all. And yet, stop and think about this. Um, if the first beast is a type of England, type or picture of the English, the British Empire, you know, what you say, well, Alan, why didn't he just say England? Well, okay, well, what is it? Is it England? Is it the United Kingdom? Or is it Great Britain? God ain't going to fool with all that. He just said it's a lion with a man's heart. And so now we've got Winnie Churchill and FDR who gave Joseph Stalin Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania after World War II. Russia then swallowed Ukraine, Belarus, and Georgia into its Soviet Union, which is why Putin wants Ukraine back. Verse 6, after this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. So quick, uh, air superiority. You know, I, uh, you know all, I know all I am is a preacher, but probably six months a year ago, Putin you know, came out with the announcement that they now had hypersonic weapons. And on the TV behind him, it was a cartoon. Anybody else find that odd besides me? Yesterday, we unveiled the new bomber. And when they rolled it out, it's not a cartoon, baby, it's real. And they're rolling it out like a Disney production. Okay, they're trying to make a statement with that. That's where we're at right now. We had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads and dominion was given to it. So what do you got? You got a lion with a man's heart. You got a bear that eats up a lot of men and women and is doing so at this moment. But the flying leopard is given a domain which he rules, kind of like having 750 military bases in 80 foreign nations and the world's reserve currency called the dollar. Verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So it's called a beast, but it's not identified with an animal. 
So this is that transhuman composite of the other three and the same beast that John sees and he talks about in Revelation 13. So it's a monster, Cookie. And, and you know, Daniel keeps staring at the horns and staring at the horns and pretty soon they honk. No, I'm just kidding. You know, my favorite Sesame Street characters are the horned monsters with no enunciation. I don't know if they need false teeth and they don't have men or what the deal is. But so here to this point, Daniel's watching kind of the great Muppet adventure. And uh, verse, verse eight, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in, the, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So 10 rulers of the world are elected. Then the Antichrist knocks off the rulers, I'm going to say, of England, Russia, and America. And the final beast comes in, kick, you know, kicking horns and taking names. I gave you a chart that is on your handout and also on this slide, a kind of composite composition of this chapter. And uh, so he comes in, he co-ops our empire of trust that we have built since World War II. And he becomes the eighth that rules the other seven. In Revelation 12, Satan has seven heads with seven kings, and the Antichrist is the eighth, according to chapter Revelation 17, verses 10 and 11. So now all of a sudden, now in Daniel, all of a sudden, scene changes. I mean, there's not even a commercial break. There's not even a segue. But a page is turned. We're transported, transponded from animals and elements to thrones and judgments. Verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. That's not the thrones of the previous kings, but he's talking about throwing down a pillow for the Eastern Oriental style king to sit upon. And the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure, like pure, the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Who is this ancient of days? Well, God is the ancient of days because he existed before all of creation. Or as Moses says, Psalm 90 verse 2, from everlasting. And yet it is important for you to note how the same thing goes for God the Son. Micah 5 verse 2. So God judges men by Jesus Christ. I mean, he judges men. It's him judging men, but he does it by Jesus Christ. John chapter 5, Acts 17, Romans 2. Therefore, the description here of the Ancient of Days matches the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.14, just so you know. So along comes the Ancient of Days to take his seat as the vision cuts now from the tribulation, which would have been the beast, the Antichrist that we just saw, entirely skips over the millennium, goes straight for the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. So verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. So in preparation for that final judgment after the millennium, the heavens and earth are burned up. Second Peter 3, Revelation 20, verse 11. So verse 10, thousand thousands ministered unto him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And that's not giving you an exhaustive number. That's telling you how they were arranged in battalions. And you got two groups. 
that are left standing after heaven and earth flee away. We are ministering to him because we will join Jesus in judging the lost world, 1 Corinthians 6.2, John chapter 3, verse 36, and in judging angels, 1 Corinthians 6.3. So the millennium completely skipped over here at this point in Daniel 7, and that is because the Bible is a multivalent revelation. So uh, the, the mind of God's multiverse... Some, in, in sometimes you find in the Bible, because we have an English translation you can actually do exegesis on, and a close reading of the text because it's accurate, not readable, but accurate, well, you're able to get things out of it. And you note that sometimes things are given to you out of order chronologically because God stands outside of time. So this is Headspin Sunday, and I'll make up for it next, next three weeks. You know, I'll finish worship, and, and we'll take on hope for the holidays. So, but this is why English Bible exegesis is so important. Look, this is our first point for study. English Bible exegesis is so important. I mean, something anybody who knows English can do, you can do. Because God is working a plan to confound the skeptics and basically, that's everybody who writes your study Bibles, your commentaries, your books. And it does not matter. You need to add that word in on your handout. It was a long week and late, and I was tired, and I forgot to put the word not in. It, I think the slide is correct, but put that on your handout. It does not matter how many degrees you have. I've got a doctorate. It no matter how many degrees you have or how many commentaries you've written. If you do not pay close attention to the words, the English words, the words of the text, the words of the Bible that God gave us and for 270 years was the only Bible in English that we had. Now, none of the skeptical scholars do that because there are reasons why this is the last days. There are reasons why this is Laodicean church age and lukewarm, uh, you know. You've got to have a faith-based view of your Bible in order to do this. So when the scholars forsake simple English Bible exegesis as their authority, it is amazing what they cannot see and what they do not get right in their commentaries. I mean, every one of them messes up Daniel 7 because they don't pay attention to the fact that these four beasts only start after Babylon is out of the, uh, the equation. So they're off on the synchronizing things from the word go. And they don't have the faith in the word to interpret it according to its multivalent aspect so that they see the tribulation as well as the millennium. And that means you've got to have enough faith and you have to act in belief on biblical authority so that you can lay out prophetic events according to the clear chronology like Revelation 19 and 20 and then read that back and use that to interpret Daniel 7 for you. Verse 10, the judgment was set and the books were opened. Books are not opened at the second advent. They're not opened at the second coming of Christ. They're only opened at the great white throne judgment after the millennium, Revelation 20 verse 12. Another clear and concise passage is 1 Corinthians 15. Advent 1st, verse 24. Millennium 2nd, verse 25. Great White Throne, verse 26. 
Once the thrones are set up and the books are opened, what happens? Verse 11. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So little big horn comes in speaking slanders against God's servants. He will do that as prosecuting eternity, uh, uh, attorney at the great white throne judgment. And then he will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet already are at because they were put there after the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, verse 20 and 20, verse 10. But in the immediate context of all these other beasts, Daniel's multivalent vision now flips back to the last half of the tribulation. Now, in order to understand this, look on your handout at Revelation 13, verse 5. And there was given unto him the beast who is the Antichrist, that fourth king, that fourth kingdom and dominion, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Paul says the same thing when he defends the rapture occurring before the second coming of Christ in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. In verse 1, he talks about the day of Christ. And then in verse Three, he says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, day of Christ, which is the judgment seat of Christ for us after we are raptured, that day won't come except there come a falling away first. And that's defined for you in other parts of scripture. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that day is the day of Christ. It's a judgment seat of Christ. Philippians 1, Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 1. And before that judgment comes for the Christian, where our sins, we're not judged as sinners, we are judged as sons. We're judged to see if we have anything worthy of rewards before that day comes for us. There comes a rapture first, and then after we are gone, a Hebrew Christian falling away from the faith, as described in Hebrews 6.6 and Luke 8.13, where after we are gone, the Jews that then get saved, some of them go back. Once the temple is completed, once they're able to do sacrifices again, they go back and embrace the law of Moses which they left for Jesus. Can, can, you know, can you lose your salvation? No, not you, but somebody can, and it will be that group. If they at that moment go back and leave Jesus, well, they, not only do they lose their salvation, they can't get saved over again. <clears throat> now, the thing that will get them to do that is the man of sin being revealed, the Antichrist, who makes a covenant to allow them to restore temple sacrifices. We will see that, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. So the church has to be out of here before any of that takes place, because right now there is no Jew or Gentile in the body of Christ. There's no Jew or Gentile today when you get saved. We are all in one body together. 
So verse 12, Daniel 7, as concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. So those nations are allowed to continue into the millennium. After the Antichrist is slain, their domain still exists, but they have no dominion there. Uh, notice God does not leave this vision for us to mess up by church tradition, human opinion, or scholarly skepticism. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. God the Father does not judge. He gives that responsibility to the Son. But now how can you say that Jesus was not God and yet you claim to honor God? Just to prove that he's God, God makes him the judge. So the Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13 is the Son of God in John chapter 5. And Jehovah the Lord of the Old Testament was the Lord Jesus all along. So Daniel is spitting some sound doctrine at you today just to get you ready for the holidays. Just so you know who that baby is. That's coming in that manger, verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Christ gets the kingdom of heaven at his second advent. Now watch on your handout, Revelation 11, verse 15. Read that in here. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And he shall reign for... Okay. I know they should have cut my mic. The Antichrist is destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. Satan is pinned in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. So living humanity, in this last, in that last dispensation, living humanity gets a chance to see if they can be righteous with the curse removed from the earth, with the devil bound, and with Jesus on the throne. Perfect government. Imagine it. Perfect government. And you know what? The nations which enter the millennium still get tripped up by their flesh because when the devil is loosed after a thousand years, he finds willing accomplices to overthrow the throne. Revelation 20, verses 7 to 9. And then it's not a flood, but a fire the next time. So God, God won't just burn up the rebels. He burns up his entire creation just like with the flood. He doesn't just, he doesn't know, no, Noah, the ark, that's it. There's some of you I'm going to preserve. I mean, the rest of this is going down in the great reset. And so God at the great white throne then ties up the loose ends. And, and after not only the devil, but death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 14. Jesus delivers the kingdom to the Father, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. And then it's delivered right back to him, as we see in, here in verses 13 and 14. So verse 14 is the literal fulfillment of the last verse, the last request of the Lord's Prayer. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. 
So Daniel's dealing with beings in the spirit world. They finally give him the Holy Spirit's commentary on this vision. Verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Ah, I see, said the blind carpenter to his deaf daughter as he picked up his hammer and saw. These beasts are rulers. They come from four different nations. This is the great cabal that the great conspirator God uses, verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So he rushes from the snapshot of the four beasts at the tribulation to say, look, don't be tripping on human conspiracies. They mean absolutely nothing. In God's plan, all saints are not going to be annihilated by any of those beasts. These are the tribulation saints. These are Daniel's Jewish people. And the kingdom at the end is for them to enjoy. So in the finale, the saints go marching in. Oh, I want to be in that number. Verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet and the 10 horns that were in his head and of the others, which came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Now, in all the graphics I'm giving you today, both on the, on the handout, on the PowerPoint, if I had... Yeah, it was a rough week. If I'd had time, I'd, I'd, I would have made them much more um, children-friendly. But in, in all, of, all of the graphics, all the people we're talking about, uh, any, any likeness to anyone living or dead is purely coincidental. <laughs> stout, stout. So stout means he was brave, he was fierce, and he was proud. The satanic trinity of psychology. He starts to make war with the remnant of Daniel's people who are left in the tribulation, and he's overpowering them. And Jesus even says that if the days were not shortened, no flesh would be saved. Can we ever get to the point as human beings that we could destroy this planet? Yes, and we will. But you know, there's also an application for you as a New Testament saint in verses 21 and 25. Verse 21, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. The devil wants to war against you, verse 21, so that he can wear you out, verse 25. Now we have an inside assistant called the Holy Spirit. And that is why the Holy Spirit anoints us and fills us, gives us gifts and causes us to bear fruit. So this ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Verse 22, Unto the ancient, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So uh, all throughout here, Jesus is being equated with God the Father. Verse 23, Thus he saith, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break in pieces. Okay, we know England, what it did and what happened did. We know Russia, what it was for a moment, for about 70 years, and what after happened did. We know what happened to us. We understand after World War I, every boot came back. But when we had to go back over there in 25 years to clean that place out, no moss. No moss. We got tens of thousands of soldiers right there in that spot. And 
all the military bases all across. We are the sole remaining superpower. So we've seen all that part. The only thing we haven't seen yet is that fourth beast that's going to come along. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, in Daniel 6, 24, his intention is to devour Daniel and the Jews whenever they are accused before him, just like Hitler devoured Western Europe until the middle of World War II. Verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Now, a king could be any national leader, because in Revelation 17, 12, what it says is that they receive power as kings. So today they go by the name president, prime minister, and yet they can still rule as a czar. Ten nations band together, one alliance for defense and the economy. So Daniel's vision has taken place right before our eyes. We are living the prequel now. The rise of the Antichrist is shown here in the little horn's arrival to take over, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, blasphemy, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High with slander and persecution, and think to change times and laws, lawlessness, and, 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 and they shall be given into his hand unto a time and times and the dividing of time. For a year plus two years, and then half a year, which is the last half of the three and a half years of a seven-year period, the Bible calls the tribulation. It is repeated as 42 months in Revelation 11, verse 2. And as 1260 days in Revelation 11, verse 3, in that period, he will try and change the laws of nature, transhumanism, mixing seed, genetic modification, and the laws of scripture. The church will be raptured. That means we will be forcibly removed, caught away off this earth to be with Jesus so the Lord Jesus will come in the clouds for his own before he comes on the clouds with his own in judgment. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. After the rapture, which is always imminent, I mean, it's always any moment. Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. But after we are gone, there will be a vacuum, an obvious need for a voice of authority. Filling that gap is going to be one man seeking to gain global supremacy. He comes riding a white horse as a peacemaker with answers for the chaos of the times. Revelation 6 verse 2. So maybe you've never understood why it is so important that you be involved in God's purpose for eternity right now, that we reach our community right now, that you get discipled right now, that you take part in some ministry right now. Why is it so important? What's well, so important that we have plans for the future, a one-sheet solution, I have called it, for our facilities, because here's our second point for study. Our only hope to change the world is to change the lives of our children. The time is short, the need is great, the lost are many, the laborers are few, and we need to get to our kids before he does. And listen, baby Baba, Satan's getting at them through society. He's getting at them through social media. He is getting at them in the schools. They have a head start, and we've not even got out the gate. 
And yet this church, now I'm not saying this is the only church, but is, this is one of the only churches that is the bastion of Judeo-Christian values and biblical worldview in our society. Why should they have to believe a lie when they can receive the truth and trust Jesus for everlasting life? So where do we stand? Where do you stand? I mean, I'll tell you where. On the threshold of the beast. We're living the prequel right now. Daniel's giving us a roadmap to the kingdom. Get trained. Get taught. Get ready to work so that you will be ready to leave. And if you're already saved by being born again this morning, you're safe. But there's an entire generation who will not make it. And I'm not necessarily concerned about your generation, those of you who are older. It is less likely that they will trust Jesus when they get older than it is the generation behind you who are the ones we got to focus on. You've got to be involved in getting them in the gospel right now. Otherwise, they're doomed. They are doomed. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 to 12. Verse 26, but the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. We and the Old Testament saints will take away his dominion when we return with Jesus at the second advent. Then the little bighorn will be put on trial for war crimes. Verse 27, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. That is a roadmap you can follow with certainty. You may not know what's happening in the world right now, or you won't know without following this map. Verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. The end of the matter is that the Antichrist, his false prophet, and his children will be thrown in the lake of fire. Jesus will be put on his throne. That's the end of the matter. And the Jews will be in charge of planet Earth. That's the end of the matter. Romans 4.13. And we, the sons of God, will be in charge of the cosmos. Brilliant. Oh, the manifold grace of God. But, verse 28, as for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. His cogitations are the cognitive contemplations of this truth, and thus ends the part of Daniel, originally written in the Gentile language of Babylon. The rest of this book, as we'll see after the first of the year, reverts to Hebrew. So in addition to charting this chapter, I want to make sure before you leave today that you have your road map to the kingdom. Number one, since the first three kingdoms are just as God predicted, there was Persia, there was Greece, there was Rome, there has been England, there has been Russia, there is America. Well, so is the fourth. The fourth will come as predicted. I mean, I mean people know those three kingdoms from history books and from modern history, and yet they refuse to believe the fourth one's going to rise exactly like Daniel declares it. Number two, since all nations were established by God, we live under his control. And his plan may seem complicated to you and as confusing as this chapter, but it is a plan he will work out with power. So be patriotic and vote. 
be Christian and vote your conscience, but God has complete control over politics, always has, always will. Number three, the God who maps out the future is able to steer your present. Have you picked up on how he wants to do that with you this next year? The one who took the time to place this kind of detail, this kind of texture into your Bible, well, he can handle your life. God is a specialist in your current events. So in the final analysis, number four, while life may appear confusing, in reality, it's just the unfolding of God's providential plan. Why won't you become a part of it? God painted the pattern for you today. Why would you not step into his purpose for you in eternity? Put your life in the center of his will. Instead of putting yourself at the center of your life, put your life in the center of his will because that is the eye of the storm that is surrounding us right now. And you know what? There's nobody that I would rather study prophecy with you know, so, so that if we are nothing else as a church, if we are nothing else, we are ready no matter who else is not. The ancient Jews considered Daniel 7 the best chapter in the Old Testament. Now you know why. Or maybe it's not to you. The stage is set geopolitically, but are you ready personally? If the curtain went up today on the prequel to the second coming, which is the catching away of those who have believed on Jesus for everlasting life and are part of his body and are part of his bride. So he's going to come, but he's going to take his bride out of here before this mess ever, before he ever starts working through this other mess. Well, if he did that today, would you be taken or left behind? Maybe you're a Christian who would be taken, but you're still not ready. I mean, you meant to get through discipleship, you just didn't, didn't do it. And you meant to sign up one Sunday and you just haven't done it. And you wanted to start serving and something else came up. And too many things are left unsaid to people too close to you. Too much time wasted in this world. Too much sympathy given to stuff. Too much effort spent on self-analysis and self-pity. And you have to say today, Alan, look, I don't have the spiritual perception that I should. I don't have the soul consciousness about the lost that I should. I don't have that sense of urgency and unction that I should. I don't know my Bible like I should. I don't tell others my testimony like I should. I'm not making my life the example of a Daniel and the example of the power of Christ to transform a person and make them look like him. Oh, you can be ready, and this church is the training ground that you need. Our ministries are the opportunity you need. And you know what? When we go up, we go up together, and that means anything that happens between us now is valuable for eternity as long as you don't Turn back. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you've never been born again. You know, in that case, nothing in this life is valuable to you at all for eternity. 
I mean, if you've not been saved, if, you've not, if you're not saved by being born again, your entire life is a waste, or as Solomon calls it, vanity. I want to tell you how to be ready by letting Jesus cleanse your sins with the blood that he shed on the cross. Trust his finished work by faith and receive salvation by God's grace. And then let God give you a new heart and a part in his plan through this church. And to do that, all you have to do is pray. All you have to do is pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for exactly what he promises me in the Bible. And he promises me everlasting life if I'll just trust him. So I don't understand everything. I don't have to. I don't have to change anything. He changes it all. I'm going to trust him to do that. I'm going to trust him to give me what I need if I trust him. So God, today, save me. Jesus, here, I give you my life.